Wouldn't you like to know? People! Great King Rat was a dirty old man, and a dirty old man was he. (gasps) No, I'm not reciting a nursery rhyme. This is track number three in my Queen Deep Dive. I'm really, really jazzed because we're getting into the songs that not a lot of people know. We're getting into the songs that, in my opinion, are superior because, again, the guys do so much better when they're not bound to the conventional structure of a radio-ready song. Yes, these are the songs that are elaborate, bombastic. You don't have first chorus, first chorus, first chorus, you know, bridge chorus. You you have, uh, like, four verses and five choruses, and <laughs> it's, it's insane. It's awesome. And I'm really excited that we're talking about Great King Rat today. Yes. Great King Rat. This was, for a time, my very favorite song off of Queen's 73 debut. And I think that's because it's like this little symphony in about six minutes. Yes, it's about six minutes long. It's quite long, which is fantastic for running, by the way. I really enjoy listening to this while I'm running because it has such a good, such a good ferocity. But yeah, this was my favorite song on their debut album. And I say was because it kind of bounced between a few different ones. But this one is still a massive favorite. And of course, this is also the first time we get to hear a Freddie Mercury composition. Yes, the previous two were Brian May or co-writer Brian May. And this is for the first time a Freddie Mercury very flowery, mystical, kind of a little bit enigmatic, just really expressive all over the place track. Freddie Mercury in all his glory. This is really fantastic. So Freddie wrote this on guitar, hence the simple harmonies that you have, despite the complexity of the music arrangements and the key changes. It's also the first time C minor key is used, and that key has three flats, and that would become a favorite of Freddie's for songs in which he features piano more heavily. Written in the year 1970, yes. And again, their debut did not come out until three years later, so song they had sitting around for quite a long time. It is a progressive early heavy metal track. I can't believe I love (laughs) something that's considered heavy metal. I am not a metal or classic rock lover historically, so this is a huge about face for me. I'm quite proud, actually. I forgot that this was considered sort of a heavy metal track. And this is definitely one of the heaviest songs from Queen that you'll ever hear. We'll go into those details a little bit more. This was never a single, so it never charted, but it's one of the most loved tracks, especially on Queen's debut. A lot of fans like this song. A lot of fans like to pick it apart, so I'm definitely not the first. This song is so varied in tempo. It doesn't even have a assigned tempo. It's just a varied tempo. We have common time 4-4 time signature with occasional 5-4 and 7-4 measures. <gasps> so much fun. 5-4, 7-4. I love working in those time signatures because they're so off-putting. <laughs> but it's really hard to sing in 7-4, just for the record. It's kind of hard to do it. You always end up doing something prominent on the fifth beat. It's, it's just the way it breaks up. It's kind of crazy. So we're in several different keys as well, which is, of course, a normal thing for Mr. Mercury. We're in the key of 
this is just kind of speculative, perhaps E, and then A minor, D major, perhaps E minor again, and then some C minor. So we're all over the place again. We're shifting and twisting and turning, classic Freddy style. This is a long form, nearly, yeah, nearly six minutes, non-conventional, what did I say? It's totally not conventional structure with lengthy solos, sharp changes, hence all the key changes. And it's the first time we get to hear Queen in all their lengthy fabulousness. It's one of the heaviest tracks you'll hear from them. Undoubtedly, this thing is really rocking, really driving, as I said, It's got this unbridled, wild energy. I absolutely love it. As far as what we're singing about, there's a lot of speculation here, which is always the case with a Freddy track, but essentially it's a story about a sleazy tyrant, a dark and dirty man, and it's wrapped up in a nursery rhyme delivery with a skeptical Mercury weighing the influence of spirituality and morals. Yeah, this was back in the time when, especially in the 70s, when we had the revival of certain churches and such, and everybody kind of believed in something with a lot of passion. And so here, it's a little bit difficult to say whether Freddie is actually just spinning a tale based on religion and spirituality, or if he's himself, if he himself is actually questioning things. But again, this is the brilliance of Mercury. We can kind of take it as we want to take it. I just sort of take it as he's singing about a guy who's really messed up and misleading people. And he's singing about the power of the influence behind that and how this guy was so awful that he, I don't want to give anything away, but it's saying in the first part of the song anyway. So he dies. (laughs) But This song is definitely mm, enthusiastic in its delivery. And I unfortunately don't have a lot to say about it from critics because again, and this was never released as a single, so it never got any kind of formal critique from a critic. I can only imagine what that would have been because I've read some other, I've read quite a few critics' comments And you notice how my voice just kind of goes, (laughs) because a lot of the critics just did not like Queen ever. And it's because they could never put them in a box. Queen was never super definable. They were never easy to categorize. And so the critics just kind of, they didn't like them. And this song is exactly what the critics didn't like. These guys didn't make short, succinct, easy to sing, radio-ready songs most of the time. They were doing things that were really outside any kind of a genre. They didn't want to be bound. They just wanted to do their thing and do it fantastically well, which they did, but the critics didn't get that. So anyway, I digress about the critics. (laughs) I'm going to go into detail about my love for the song simply because there's nothing else to say as far as critics are concerned. So let's start talking about my love for this song. Uh, Well, as I said, it's one of my favorites. And again, super surprising that I love this so much given my general aversion to rock for most of my life. Yes, a cautionary tale it is of power and greed and lust. And this is one of the many, many times we get to hear Freddie sing about the fight between good and evil, light and dark, and it's centered around a very profound religious theme. So there's even mention of the Bible in there. And again, it's kind of like, is he saying this is what the evil man 
was saying to question things, or is he himself saying it? It's quite interesting. With lyrics like, come, come on, the time is right, this evil man will fight, I told you once before. It's a warning. This whole thing feels like a massive warning of, oh, look out for this dude. And yeah, he's dead, but still. <laughs> look out for what he left in his wake, right? And by the way, only Queen could open a song with a line about a rat, actually, you know, a man as awful as a rat, dying from syphilis. And honestly, it's saying so fast by the wonderful Freddie Mercury and his great diction that you, yeah, <laughs> you barely catch it. And then you go back and you read it and you're like, oh my gosh, he's singing about that. Okay. I don't think I've heard that word mentioned in any other song, but as we all know, this is Queen. So there are no rules. This sound of the song reminds me very much of epic scores from spaghetti Westerns, like the good, the bad, and the ugly, and fistful of dollars, et cetera, et cetera. It feels bigger and more historic or legendary than just track three on Queen's debut. You know, it definitely makes its mark. It makes a very solid statement. And really, if you didn't realize how great this band was in the first two tracks, this is often the track that people kind of go, wow. In fact, I've read a lot of comments from people who, when they first bought this album, this was the song that made them sit up and realize that Queen had something really, really big to say. Brian employs so many effects to give his layered guitars variations in sound, including an edginess, a phasing, and there's even a slide whistle surprise in there. His opening feedback fade-in and that subsequent fall down the scale, it rattles in and crashes against Roger's arriving drums. Ugh, so good. It just sucks you in. There's that irregular phrasing with the beat skipped and the measures. Remember we talked about that 5-4 and 7-4 and measures that we have? It creates this sense of urgency and uncertainty, and it retains the listener's attention and adds to that super fun complexity. It just, it makes this song so, so interesting. Now, Freddie, as always, super, super engaging and expressive, commanding, performing with such great intent and urgency, just flawless. I mean, you really, you really can tell how much attention he put on the performances in every single one of these songs. Roger, that tinge of little Western spice in his beats and the ancient drum sounds gives this song so much character. It adds to that feeling of this thing being ancient and like an old story that someone is telling and has told for many years through generations. It's, it's, it makes the song so much bigger than it actually is. And John, always reliable with that power, the accuracy, providing that deep foundation that carries the whole song all the way through. The bridge of the song contains both major and minor sevenths. Such a nice contrast, such a nice surprise. And that Spanish-flavored acoustic guitar break is so beautiful and super surprising. That big rush of guitars and the drums compounding in and just start galloping along. It's one of my absolute favorite Queen moments period, in any Queen song. Roger's big drums, Freddie's sass and attitude, Brian's edge and John's persistence, all absolutely, absolutely solid here. 
I like that there's this notable theme that's woven around the verses and the guitar solos, and it feels, again, so old and ancient and established. It's like like we're digging up a song <laughs> that's been around for a very long time. And, oh, that attitude. Of course the guys are showing off here, you know, with great panache and prowesses. And they should. Of course they should. They're incredibly in tune with each other at this point, and they know it. They had it together and knew it. So confidence is the first word that comes to mind when I think about this song, actually. It's a real sense of identity in this song. So good, so impressive. The twists and turns that the song takes us through, the storytelling in the song. Ah, I love Queen. (laughs) It's so good. And it doesn't matter that this song is so long. That's what gives it that sense of larger than life. That's what gives it a sense of being part of a bigger picture. Queen were so good at that. They loved creating worlds with their songs and taking you to another place that was exaggerated or in another dimension sometimes. I don't, maybe I'm exaggerating, but that, that's how it feels a lot of the time to me is that these guys just put so much otherworldly energy into what they were doing, especially Freddie when he would work on these songs that told these tales. And it really makes you wonder, is this actually about someone? I've read quite a few comments now. I was just reading some now before I went to do this podcast. There's a lot of people that think this is about someone. I think I read something like Al Capone. Another person wondered if it had to do with a group of people, like like this club group of people that was around in the 60s or 70s that were performers. I can't remember exactly what it was. But there's a lot of interesting, what if it's this person or what if... What if, right? It's always the what ifs with Freddie. And that's what keeps us going back and analyzing just like I am right now is what in the world are we talking about? What is this really about? Or is it really just something that came out of Freddie's fantastic imagination? I mean, he sings about the land of rye. He sings about the fairy feller's masterstroke. I can't wait to go into that song. He's got my fairy king. Oh, we're coming up on that next. But yes, all fantastic, so fantastical. The guys played this live most prominently in the first part of their career and in and before the mid-70s there. And then they threw it back on the set list in 84, I think it was. But yeah, the Live at the Rainbow version from 74 is so good. First of all, Brian just drags out that intro like nobody's business. I mean, when he falls down that scale, he just kind of just holds on to it. And if you're a fan, you know what's coming. So you're just like, wait, wait, wait. (laughs) It's so good. And all the rolls and the riffs that Roger plays on the drums are so good. I, I love listening to the live performances, especially when it comes to Roger's drumming, because It's always so much more intense. And somehow all of the guys managed to capture the same intense, amazing energy live that they do in the studio. And it's it's always awesome too, because inevitably the guys start out super fast. (laughs) They always kick off these songs and in in the live performances, really jazz that adrenaline is rushing. It's like and then finally they get in about 30 seconds and you're like 
oh, okay, now we're now we're settled in. Now we're good. <laughs> but it always takes them a little bit to reel it in. And I get that. I've 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 been there. I've been there where you're performing in front of people and and you're you're ready and you're hyped and you're you're jazzed and it's just like you cannot slow down. It's really hard when you're playing an instrument to slow down and keep it dialed in. And somehow, despite the fact that they always had that pent up energy and it came out and they had to sort of reel it in, they always were still playing together. It was like they were all jazzed up on the adrenaline at the same time and it just came down at the same rate. It's really impressive. That's how that's how in tune with each other they were, I think. Nothing more than a little glance every once in a while. They knew each other so well that they could read when someone was going to finish a solo and when someone was going to bring out that riff that was going to cue in the next part of the song. And it's just, they practiced a lot. You know, I'll probably do a whole podcast just for the Live Aid performance because it's so epic and amazing and monumental. But it's worth noting that they practiced and rehearsed a lot more for that performance than I think some of the other bands did. And that would probably be why they did so well because not only did they trust themselves to do a good job but they they knew what they were capable of they practiced and rehearsed hard before they went out there and they nailed it and look at it fantasticness but yeah these guys played this live had a good time with it and I do not actually own a live recording a live performance with this on it I gotta find it because Great King Rat is so good live Seriously, the energy that's on the album is just tenfold on the live performances because you simply can't believe that this is just four guys playing. It blows my mind that through all of the 70s, they had nobody accompanying them on stage. They simply went out there and played, the four of them, and rocked it. I mean, the hardest rocking stuff, most awesome performances, some of the best that some people ever saw. I've read pretty much all the comments from all of their tours that they did and paid special attention to the 70s performances because I love them so much. Far and away, all of these comments, all of the people saying, this is one of the best bands I've ever seen or ever heard live. That's how good they were. Oh, if I had a time machine. I swear I was born in the wrong decade. I was born in the wrong time, people. <laughs> that is another podcast for another day. <laughs> I love the sound of this song. It's so good. It's so heavy. It's very surprising, super engaging. If you really like the epicness of some of Queen's bigger hits like Bohemian Rhapsody that move and twist and turn and surprise, I think Great King Rat would be a fantastic venture because it has that heavier edge, that harder rock influence that I love so much. I love 70s queen. I really truly love 70s queen more than 80s queen. I love everything about them in this time period. I love the raw energy they had. It was so unbridled, but they were so sure of themselves because they were incredibly, incredibly well practiced at this point. And I just, I love their style at that time. I, uh, I just love it. I love it all. I want it all. Sorry, that is the wrong song, but so relevant. <laughs> so applicable. But I digress as always because I love these boys. And that is Great King Rat. So you got to go. Got to go. Got to go. Got to listen to it. People, Great King Rat was a dirty old man. Go listen to this song. Love it. Go for a ride. Listen to it while you run or while you drive. Well, maybe not while you drive. 
you could hit that, hit that pedal to the metal. <laughs> and then I will not be responsible. Okay. Love to you, shinies. Lots of love. Enjoy. <laughs> 